Well, hello, New Life Church, the digital campus, the campus we love. You may be wondering, where is Rick today? That's a good question. I actually don't know. Oh, I do know it's Jamaica. It's actually the movie Cool Runnings for the big screen series. This series is huge. It's been a huge part of our church for a long time. But here's the problem. We cannot show the big screen series to you at the digital campus. Legally, we can't do it. It's the reason why we didn't do this last year. But we're going to do it this year. And you can go to the website, newlifechurch.tv, and see which campus closest to you uh, has this as an option. We're also making some moves for you to minister to you better. We're moving the service from 8 o'clock to 9.30 because we feel like it'll fit your schedule better. And we have new vision on how to pass to you even better. I'm not going to tell you all about it. You're going to have to come, but it'll be on October the 24th at 9.30. No longer at 8 o'clock at 9.30. So today, we're going to hear the word, and today, we're going to worship. So let's do it with all of our heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're a part of our church, NLC, and churches all across Arkansas, and we invite you in to what we're doing today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, what's going on, New Life Church? Uh, Bronson Duke here from the downtown campus. Uh, excited to be with you wherever you're at, wherever this finds you. And what we're talking about is how do we experience the power of God? What does that look like in our lives? Uh, something that I know is that so often we go through our spiritual life and we don't feel like we're experiencing power in our spiritual life. What does that mean? Uh, we, we feel like pl there's places where we don't have authority or there's places where we're, we're frustrated or, or maybe even there's places where you're just plain burned out. Uh, you know, the, the scripture promises that we can pour our lives out without burning our lives out. And so I hope that as we go through this text, as we go through this amazing story, uh, that God would speak something to you that would encourage you in your faith. And so uh, let me pray, and we're going to jump into it. God, pray for this word. God, we thank you that your word is powerful. God, it's effective. Uh, and God, it's relevant to our lives today. And so God, I pray that you would speak to us uh, wherever, wherever uh, they're at. God, wherever we're at. God, I pray that you would speak to us right where we are. And so Jesus, we love you. We praise you. In your name we pray. And everybody online said, amen. Uh, a few years ago, there was a guy named Trevor Krause. Uh, Trevor Krause was about 20, uh, mid-20s, and, and he had an idea. He had a, a wild idea, which is that uh, he could go into sporting events without paying for the sporting event. You see, the guy had been a ticket taker for a number of years, and he realized, you know, th there's not a lot keeping somebody from just gate crashing. And so uh, he, he tested it out at a couple events, uh, and eventually he went to the NCAA basketball tournament. And what he did is he bought a ticket, actually, for this one, uh, for one of the cheaper games. And what he did is at the end of the game, he went up to the top and he hid in the curtain at the uh, top of the arena and he waited for everybody to flow out. And uh, he waited for the next crowd to come in. And as they were coming in, he came out of the curtain, sat down and watched an amazing and expensive basketball game. Uh, the guy broke into the World Series, Wimbledon, was, uh, events all over the world. I think he said he, he broke into 31 world-level sporting events without paying a dime. And I think he said he only got caught twice. Uh, what would give somebody the boldness? This is the question I'm asking. What would give somebody the boldness to do something like this? Uh, he, he answered the question in a book he wrote. He said that, I, I realized at some point that the reward that was potentially there for me far outweighed the risk of what might happen. And, and this is exactly what we're seeing in this story uh, with the woman with the alabaster jar. Okay, I, I want to set the scene for you. Uh, everything that this woman is doing is absolutely outrageous. But Luke presents it as if it's something normal or acceptable that's happening. Um, Okay, so, so here's what would have been happening. I, I want us to kind of step into the text here uh, and kind of imagine what it would be like to be in the room. So, so what would have happened is the Pharisee Simon, he, he invited Jesus into his home and it would have been a party. And so they would have been sitting at a U-shaped table and uh, at, at the table, they would have reclined on their left side with their feet behind them, and they would have been barefoot, which for the germaphobes in the house, uh, <laughs> that, that's your worst nightmare, right? Uh, so he's sitting there, he, he's, he's actually laying down with his feet behind him, and just imagine this, imagine this, a prostitute comes into the room. I want you to think about that, really think about that, not just read the words that are on the page, but think about that in our world, in our life. A prostitute comes in, she comes behind Jesus, she lets her hair down, which in our culture, like if you're watching a movie and a girl lets her hair down, 
we know it's time to fast forward, right? We need to get some pure flicks going on. Uh, even in my household, when Callie comes home and she lets her hair down after a stressful day, it's an intimate act. You know, we understand that a little bit in our culture, but in Jewish culture, for a woman to let her hair down in public, that was something that was supposed to be reserved only for a husband. And so this is akin to public nudity, okay? So she comes in, she lets her hair down. Again, a prostitute, everyone knows what she does for a living, and she goes down and starts kissing his feet, This is an incredibly inappropriate act. She's kissing his feet. She's wiping his his feet with her hair. She's crying all over his feet. And let's just be honest, okay? If, If we saw this happen, we would be like, what is going on, right? This is so weird. Like at best, we'd be like, this is really stinking weird. At worst, we'd be like, I got to get my cell phone out. Like some people are going to have to see this. And y'all, this is what we would be thinking. And it's certainly what Simon is thinking. Simon is a Pharisee, okay? Uh, He is interested in Jesus. We can see that from the text. Interested enough to invite him into his home. A lot of times we want to flatten Pharisees out and, and say that they're all the same, but he's at least interested in Jesus. Pharisees were a group of religious leaders. The word Pharisee literally means separatist. Uh, They believed that God's kingdom would come, okay? What that would mean to them is that Israel would be restored as a strong, independent nation under God, okay? That was the kingdom of God coming to them through strict adherence to the law and through ritual purity, okay? So here's what that meant. The Pharisees were religious narcs, okay? So like if if you're breaking the law, they're going to tell on you and they're going to do something about it. And so for Simon, this is his view of of how God's working, what God's going to do in the world. Okay, so in comes this woman. Let's talk about the woman for a second. This woman represents everything Simon is against, okay? She is a sinner. She is a whore by social status. She's a contagion. Like her presence in the room literally destroys the ritual purity that the Pharisees have worked so hard for because they believe that through that purity and through strict adherence to the laws and not just the laws, but other rules they made up to help them not accidentally break the laws, that's what would usher in the kingdom of God. So what Simon is, is thinking is she is coming in, the lifestyle that she lives, the thing that she does is keeping the kingdom of God from coming. She spends time with unclean people for money. We can fill in the blanks there. Or to put it simply the way Simon put it, she is a sinner. Luke 7, 39b says this, it says, if, if this man, he's talking about Jesus, were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Here's what Simon's missing. And I wonder if we often miss it too. He is witnessing the very power of God with his own eyes in this woman's life. There is no greater testimony to the power of God than a transformed life. And there's no greater proof of a transformed life than a life poured out. Let's talk about the alabaster jar. Okay, so she would have worn this alabaster jar around her neck. It would have been a a bottle of really, really, really expensive ointment or perfume. Um, Wealthy women would have worn this around their necks, but also prostitutes. You see, the way that the alabaster jar was designed 
is it had a really skinny neck on it, it had a string that went around that part, and they wore it around their necks, and the opening of the bottle was only small enough to let the scent come out. Okay, so prostitutes would wear this. It was a strong scent. Some, some historians would say you could smell it up to 10 feet away. The reason a prostitute would wear this would be to signal that, that she is open to business and to attract men to herself. You see, in order for, us, her, for her to get that ointment out of the jar, she would have had to break it. Now, I, I want you to think about this for a second. In the first century, for a woman to become a prostitute, there were only a few ways this would have happened. Number one, she, she was a single woman with no male attachments, and she had no way to take care of herself, so she would have entered uh, the sex trade. Uh, another way this would have happened, which was very common, is that she came from a very poor family, and that poor family couldn't afford to make ends meet, but they had a very valuable daughter that they could sell into the slave trade. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, go with me to that, Luke chapter 4, it's in uh, verse 18. This is the mission statement of Jesus. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives that will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is the mission statement of Jesus. You see, Simon, he looks at this woman and he, he says she's preventing the kingdom of God from coming. Jesus looks at this woman and he says, this is the very poor. This is the type of person that I've come to see the kingdom of God break out in. This woman, this poor woman, meets Jesus, has a radical transformation with Jesus, and she takes what's previously she used to draw men to herself, and she breaks it. Her power source, her source of security, her source of income, she breaks it and she pours it out on the feet of Jesus so that men would be attracted to him. It says in another place in the scripture that wherever the gospels preach, this story will be told. This woman didn't bring worship that didn't cost her something. She brought costly worship. King David said, I will not bring to my God that which costs me nothing. Our level of ability to take risk is directly proportional to our view of the reward we're going to see. That's just how we work. So look at this. She, she's taking financial risk. She's breaking the perfume. She's taking social risk. She's coming to this party where she could easily be rejected, which actually she is. Here's what she realized, though. Jesus is not deserving of something. Jesus is deserving of everything. It's clear this is not her first encounter with Jesus. And actually, if you, if you go through and look in Luke chapter 8, the next chapter, it talks about the women who followed Jesus. And it talks about Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was a woman who had seven demons casted out of her. Y'all, most historians and theologians believe that this woman was in fact Mary Magdalene. She'd had an incredible revelation of the power of God, of the grace of God, of the forgiveness of God. And she was serving out of that. If it's true that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the God of the universe, the one who is capable of forgiving sins and helping us walk with a clean conscience towards God, no matter what we've done, the most rational response is to give him everything. Why? 
because he knows what to do with our gifts. If he's the creator, he knows the best way for us to live. He knows the best way for us to lead and to serve and to do these things. Y'all think about it. If she had kept the jar, her significance, it would have died when she died. The jar, the significance of the jar of the gift. The great uh, philosopher John Mayer once said that bragging about a talent you have is about as interesting as bragging about a gift you've been given. What's the point? When you realize everything you have is a gift, it's not hard to give it back to the gift giver. The truth is, though, that we often seek the hand of God. That's the benefits. Seek the hand of God. We, we, we may well serve him if we do that. We may well actually give him everything, but we'll burn out. But if we seek his face, not just his hand, but his face, that's relationship with God, we'll experience his grace, and our response will be to pour out. Philippians 2 Uh, verse seven, it says this, it says, but even if I'm poured out like a drink offering, if you're at home, say poured out, (laughs) poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. Y'all, I'll be honest, 2020 was a tough year for me, but not in the way that you might think. Uh, It was actually January of 2020 when I hit my tough spot. Um, I was working hard, I was doing ministry, and I was in my kitchen one day. And As pastors, you may not believe this, but we do have problems that come our way. (laughs) And and somebody came to me with a problem, and I said, man, I am so sick of people. I'm sick of people. (laughs) And I realized I'm in trouble. Like, I'm a pastor, I'm a shepherd, and I'm sick of people. This is not a good place to be. And so I called my buddy and I told him about it. And he said, Bronson, you, you have the wrong lens on the people that God's called you to serve. He said, what's going on in your heart, man? We started digging into it. And what I found is that, that God had become a source of information for me, like the Bible. I started reading the Bible for information because I needed to write sermons or whatever. It's the right thing to do versus reading the Bible to be formed. I started approaching God informationally instead of formationally. What does this look like? It looks like we're just coming to God, doing our religious duties, going to church because it's what a good Christian should do. What I realized is that God wanted me to not read the word for information, but for formation. You know, so often we come to God just for information, like, like we go to church and, and we're, we're checking it off the list. We're doing our church thing. We got a couple of good things to think about. You know, coming to church is, is not a worship experience. This is something, a term we use. You know, it's not a worship experience. The experience is a show. We are coming in to engage with the creator of the universe and to give him honor and glory and worship. And the amazing thing is the scripture said he loves that. He, he, he says our, our worship is like incense. It's a fragrant offering. He loves it. I started going into worship differently. I started approaching the word differently. And instead of saying, God, what do I think about you? Psalm 139 says, search my heart and know me. See if there's anything that's not right in me. Form me. Shape me. You know, I, I burned out personally. I don't, I don't know where you're at. I burned out personally because I was serving God, but I was serving God in the wrong way. Truth is, when something's been burned out, it cannot be used again. But when something's been poured out, it just needs to be refilled. So how, how do we miss this? What, what happens? 
When we're doing things, we're doing life, often we're looking for relief instead of refilling. God, God wants to refill you. How do you do that? You get away, you get with God, you get into solitude and silence, and you ask him to refill you. You pray, you read his word, you meditate. You know, some of these ways that we try to get relief, they're not all bad, but it's not going to restore your soul. Watching Ted Lasso on Apple Plus, which I don't recommend as a pastor, <laughs> it's not going to refill your soul. It's going to be time with God. It might give you entertainment. Y'all listen, some of you, you, you you're actually, you're, you're burned out, not because you're refilling the wrong way, but it's been bad behaviors. Like this past year, some of your coping mechanisms turned on you, like a glass of wine turned into a bottle of wine. But some of us are, are burned out from serving God in the wrong way. That was me. I, I was tempted to walk away from my call. I was tempted to walk away from the church. I almost did both. You may, ha- you may find yourself in that place. And I think you got to ask yourself if you've experienced burnout. you got fear of that. Maybe in business and relationships in the church. Where are you going for refilling? God's called us to pour out our lives on the altar. And he promises if we do that, he'll refill us. Pouring out is an offering. Burnout comes from obligation. Pouring out is a partnership with God. Burnout comes from trying to earn your favor with God. Pouring out is a heartfelt response to the grace of Jesus. But burnout comes from duty-bound religion and, and working without a relationship with God. You know, some things need to be poured out, but some things just need to be broken. Let's look at Simon. It's point number one I made. I'm making some points here. Point one, God calls us to bring costly worship. Point two, God calls us and invites us graciously to change. So let's look at this in Luke 7. We're going to be in 39. Uh, get your Bibles. Read this with me. I'm in the NLT. It says, when the Pharisee who'd been invited who had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts, all right? That's a move right there, okay? He didn't answer what he said, he answered his thoughts. Simon said, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And he told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And he turned to the woman. Listen, I'm going to pause here. Jesus is speaking language that Simon understands. Simon has a transactional view of God. If I do right, God will bless me. If I do these things, the kingdom of God will come. And Jesus is speaking this language, but he's trying to teach him something deeper. He asked, who do you suppose will love him more? He said, the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And he turned to the woman. He said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she's anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they're many, have been forgiven. So she's shown shown me much love. But the person who's been forgiven little shows only a little love. 
I'm going to close with this. Jesus is doing a few things with Simon. He's calling him to repent of his view of the woman. He's also calling him to repent of his view of himself. Two people are dead. (laughs) Okay, go with me here. One person got mauled by a bear. One person got bit by a spider. All right, one of them looks worse. (laughs) The bear mauling looks worse, but they're both dead. See, Simon is viewing this woman as someone who still has a debt that she owes, but Jesus is trying to say she's loving me because her debt has been forgiven. But he's saying, Simon, you also owe a debt. You have this moralism that you think makes you right with me, but it will never bring about this transformation that you're looking for, this transformation in the world, and actually this transformation in your own life. Simon views himself as the ultimate authority in the room. Listen, I say this with all love and grace. There are some of you who who think that you're the authority. Simon's sitting back. He's observing Christ. He's trying to decide what he thinks about Christ. He's trying to maybe pick up a few things to add to his life. But Christ is saying, I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just a good teacher. I'm God in flesh. I have the power to forgive sins. I have the power to forgive your sins. He's trying to get him to repent of his view of the woman, his view of himself. But also Christ is trying to give him a clear lens of who he's sitting with. If Christ is who he says he is, which I submit to you that he is, the most rational thing we can do is give him everything. If we want to walk in true security and power in our lives, the most rational thing we can do is bring everything we've got and to give it to Jesus. We see an object lesson with a woman. She's doing this. She's breaking her jar. She's giving it to Jesus. But I would submit to you that Jesus is inviting Simon to the exact same thing. We don't see what Simon did because Simon's not the only audience for this teaching. We're the audience as well. And so here's here's my question for you. If you're a Christian, are you experiencing the power of God? Or are you feeling burnout, tired, worn out on religion? Jesus says, come to me and find rest. You'll restore your soul. He'll still call you to mission, but he'll call you to do it in a healthier way. Or or have you found yourself maybe sitting in the seat of judgment and, and there's actually bitterness in your heart. You're not experiencing love. You're not loving other people well. And maybe God's calling you to to shift your view of other people. Maybe he's calling you to shift your view of yourself. And he's calling you to find true peace. Let's look at the end. The other men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. God's called us to walk in peace. God's called us to walk in spiritual power, spiritual authority. He's called us to go out and build his kingdom, to spread his word. But his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He's called us to do it from a place of freedom, not a place of burnout, a place of pouring out, and a place of hope. And so I've got two questions for you. Where do you find yourself within this text? Do you find yourself as the the woman who you've been forgiven and you've experienced that and you need to get back to that? Do you find yourself as Simon, where you're hard-hearted, You're trying to decide, man, what do I even think about Jesus? And maybe God's calling you to repent of that. Or maybe you're somebody at the table who's saying, who's this guy think he is that he can bring peace? Y'all listen, he can change your view of others. 
He can change your view of him, and if you let him, he'll even change your view of yourself, and he'll bring you peace. So two questions. Is there anything God's speaking to you? What's he speaking to you? And two, if he's speaking to you, what's he asking you to do about it? Let me pray for you. God, thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's powerful, it's effective. God, you speak to us through it. God, I, I pray for anybody who, who's listening, watching right now. God, I pray that you'd meet them where they're at. And God, you'd show them that next step as you speak. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
I love the way we worship here on the digital campus. And I love what Bronson talked about, obeying God. Sometimes obedience is even better than faith. And the truth is, some of you have never obeyed the Lord just to follow after Him. Like you can sense that He wants you around and you know that you're a sinner, but you've never obeyed God and said, I give you my life. I want to pray for people to make that decision right now. I remember Super Bowl Sunday, 1981, when I gave my heart to the Lord. And man, it was, it was a game changer. It was the best decision I ever made. And I almost didn't make that decision. I've thought about that many times. So right now, this could be it for you. It's where he takes out your old heart and he gives you a new one. If you want to make that decision, let's do so together in prayer right now. Bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, I thank you for everyone at the sound of my voice. And Lord, we all need to check our heart and to see how we're doing. Your word even says to do that, to examine our heart, to see if we are right with you. And some of us, we've never committed our lives to you. And then some of us have, but we're not walking with you now. So we repent of our sins, meaning we apologize, God, with godly sorrow. We're so sorry that we have lived away from you. We invite you into our lives, and we ask that you forgive us, and we're going to serve you for the rest of our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God has been good to us as a church, and I know some of you are a part of our church now. Maybe it's something that you've decided recently. Maybe you've been around for a long time. Uh, but the people of our church and the people of every church need to contribute in the way that they serve, in the way that they help us, whether if that's in a chat room or the way that you give. And I just want to encourage everybody to do something, give something. It would be so strange to go to a restaurant and to eat a meal and then to leave without being a part of the process of the bill, the check. We don't have that with God. We don't have a bill. Uh, we just have to have a heart that loves Him. And wherever your heart is, Scripture says, that's where your treasure is as well. So I want you to think about that in the way that we give. There's a lot of ways that you can give. You can see it on the slides that are around me right now. But let's all do our part because He's a good God. I want to remind you again, we have big screen coming up. It will not be able to play here on the digital campus. It's not legal for us to do that. You will have to go to a campus. You can go to newlifechurch.tv and see which campuses are participating in that. Most of our campuses are. But I cannot wait until October the 24th when we do the first movie, Cool Runnings. And it's going to be great. God bless you. I love all of you. And we can't wait to see you next weekend.